This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to bring in my pal Michael Falkender, professor of finance at the University of Maryland, former assistant secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy and the chief economist of the America First Policy Institute. Mike, thanks for doing this on a Saturday. Uh, I want to talk about the economy, but just... um, you know, you, you were in the Treasury for several years uh, in a key spot. What's your take? What's the deadline? What's the what's the you know, X day for the uh, debt stuff now? Because, as you know, the, the talks, the so-called talks are going nowhere. <laughs> surprise, surprise, the Democrats don't want to cut spending. Okay, that's a shocker, <laughs> breaking news. But uh, you have any thoughts on the uh, actual uh, is Treasury going to run out of cash? Can they keep looting the retirement funds? Funds? What's going to happen here? You know that they not only can keep looting the retirement funds for a little while longer, but there are some steps that, if they really were facing a cash crunch, I would have expected them to have already taken. So, you know, if you really were anticipating that you were going to run out of money in the Treasury's checking account, you would start not paying certain contractors or at least taking longer to pay some of the contractors. You'd start looking at furloughing non-essential government employees so that we could elongate the amount of time that we've got. And the fact that they're not doing those things, in fact, I was uh, talking with some federal contractors earlier this week, and they're getting paid early. So that's kind of standard cash management that you would do in order to elongate that. So are they, as you've said before, are they wanting to hit this time frame so that they can create the hysteria and think that they can force, um, you know, a clean vote out of the House of Representatives. So I, I don't trust that they are really you know, negotiating in good faith because they, I think, ultimately want to shut things down and, and then think that they can keep spending. Mm-hmm. Somehow force the Republicans into submission. It's not going to happen. I mean, I can just tell you. I'm in touch with all people on the GOP it's not side. Happen. And because the American people are with the Republicans on this. Right. I mean, poll after poll after poll that I've seen says, yes, we should we should rescind COVID money that hasn't been spent. Mm-hmm. We should cut back on the level of government spending back to where it was prior to the pandemic. Student loans should not be forgiven. Yes, there should be work requirements. And because remember, who are the work requirements for? Able-bodied prime age, childless, Mm. right? In a three and a half percent unemployment environment, why shouldn't the American people ask people in that situation to work as a condition to receive food stamps, TANF, and Medicaid? Yeah, you're dead right on that. You know, one of the first things that happened when they started talking uh, staff to staff was the Democrats immediately took the student loan cancellations off the table. And the other thing they did, Mike, was, uh, you know, they, uh, the Republicans in the McCarthy plan wanted to stop all these greeny tax credits that were in the uh, misnamed Inflation Reduction Act because they're no, well, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but among others, there are absolutely no limits. Those credits could go into the, like, the next 25 years. And as you may know, others, uh, actually the CBO, but others like Goldman Sachs and so forth, have re-estimated the cost of that bill to be over a trillion dollars. They just took that right off the table. They didn't want to talk about it at all. And now they're bickering. They don't. They don't want a one percent cap. They don't want any caps uh, for ten years. 
I mean, you got four and a half, five trillion dollars of savings in there uh, with the uh, McCarthy caps. They just don't want to do it. They just took that stuff right off. And, you know, I think that's why Garrett Graves, you know, walked out yesterday morning. They had a 10 minute meeting and it was more of the same. And he walked out. I know they came back last night, but nothing happened on that. I mean, they, they just don't want to cut spending. They don't want to go into the student loans. They don't want you know stop the green uh, stuff and the permitting. The permitting, the permits that the Democrats want are only for renewables, no fossil fuels. How the hell can you? That's not a compromise. No, not at all. I mean, and and it is the fact that they are willing to blow up talks and put the country into default for the first time exactly so that they can continue to forgive student loans that primarily goes to people in the you know upper 30 percent of the income distribution that they won't cut back on all of these subsidies for EVs. Because like you said, you know, Joe Manchin intentionally in the in the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act said we need to have sourcing minimums in order to get these credits, because to the extent that the federal government is going to subsidize the transition to electric vehicles, then they ought to be made in the United States. Mm. And the Treasury Department just ignores them, just ignores Mm. the sourcing requirements. And that's why. Goldman Sachs, among others, has come back and said, this is going to cost us a lot more because CBO didn't think that we'd be able to make all we'd be able to meet many of these requirements on sourcing. Mm. And so they're just going to ignore them. And that's why that piece is gone. But the fact that there's an unwillingness to bring spending levels back to where they were prior to the pandemic. I mean, Larry, you and I both know, look at how strong 2019 was. We had the biggest increase in household income. We had the lowest poverty rate, not just ever, but among all races, right? We had, um, we had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. We had an economy hitting on all cylinders, but the Biden's view of how to run the economy is you get big government and big labor and big business all together, and you divvy things up, and you remove any entrepreneurship, you remove any dynamism, and it's just government dependency. And they want to micromanage. The, they want a central plan. And they refuse to give in on anything that's going to take them away from central planning, even if it means defaulting on the government's debt. Yeah, I love that central planning. I, You know, I talk about that all the time. This is like Soviet-style central planning. So yeah, I, re- I remember sitting in those meetings where you were just advocating <laughs> for central planning. Right? <laughs> so... Um, your points about furloughs and contracting is very important, so we need to watch for that. The CBO report came out, uh, Michael, and uh, they said if you get through the tax date, uh, what is it, corporate tax date, June 15th, they probably have enough money to get through July, actually. Yeah, so I remember I used to work with um, the office that puts together the monthly treasury statement and and do the press briefings. And there's very clear patterns. You know, April is always a a surplus month because personal tax returns come in. And then, of course, June is usually a surplus month because you get the quarterly filings and the corporate tax payments. So once those receipts come in, you know, usually you run a a surplus. So if you get past June 2nd, because those security checks go out that day. Then you're back to being in a nice cash position for a little while. But, you know, because we're running a $1.5 trillion deficit this year, you are going to then start hitting some deficit months, and that's when you start worrying about the balance in the checking account again. So it's, it's not like spending is 
a constant stream. There are these huge lumps, and if you get past a lump, then you're clear until the next one comes. Um, that's all very helpful. So one quickie, we got just a minute and a half. Um, the index of leading indicators in April fell for the 13th straight month. What does that tell you? Uh, well, the economy continues to be in trouble. We're, you know, we, we're, people, households are running out of money. They're hitting credit card limits. Interest rates keep rising. And so, um, and then with the failure of the banks, we've seen that credit conditions are tightening. So if you think about the ways that, that households primarily fund their activities, it's first and foremost wages, but they're not keeping up with inflation. Second, it's savings. Households built that up during the pandemic, but savings rates are at terribly low levels. And then it's credit, and with tightening credit standards plus credit card debt hitting record highs, consumers are running out of households are running out of funds to fund their consumption. That's you know seventy percent of, of gross output, and so the result is that they're going to be pulling back. And every indicator, as you said, has been telling us that more and more for the last thirteen months. So the recession that I thought would already have been here still mm. seems like it's it's coming yeah it's it's funny the, the leading indicators uh, also things like the inverted yield curve uh m2 money supply i know that's not a perfect one but you've got a lot of really war- a lot of warning signs of recession i'm not sure the stock market or wall street understands that but i was kind of shocked by the leading indicator stuff. It was our friend Joe Lavornia that brought it to my attention. I, I don't follow that as much from the conference board, but that's a brutal number. It's down 8% year on year, uh, Michael. And, I, you know, I, I, we're not out of the woods. We may be going into the woods. That's, I think, what the, uh, what the bottom line is going to be here. That's exactly right. And if you look at the Biden administration's budget submission, they're not at all calling for growth. I mean, this is right. this is an austerity government. They, I say austerity in in terms of uh, there's just going to be less to go around, right? I mean, the problem with central planning is that you remove the incentive for the private sector to generate more output. Mm. And you know, it, it, there used to be a bipartisan consensus that we wanted growth, mm. but you know. If you look at the baseline budget, I know I'm going to get deep into the weeds here, but I know how much you love these conversations, Larry. Just a, <laughs> if you just look a at few the seconds. And then the policy budget, right? The difference between those ought to generate growth because the baseline is if we do nothing, the policy budget is if we do the administration's objectives. And yet there's no improvement in growth no, because they, re- they no longer want growth. It's redistribution. You know, they don't really care about growth. They've got ideological policy objectives. It's never growth. The left is never growth driven. In fact, it's, you know, maybe anti-growth driven. Anyway, Mike Falkender of University of Maryland, former assistant secretary of the Treasury, America First Policy. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Folks, quick, quick, uh, quick break. And on the other side, we got my friend uh, Greg Kelly from WABC and uh, Newsmax. We want to talk about interior, the, the illegal migrants coming into the interior of the country, especially in New York. Oh, my gosh, this is a big mess. I'm Kudlow. We'll take a quick break. Larry Kudlow. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great pleasure bring in Greg Kelly, WABC radio host, his terrific show, 3 to 5 p.m. every day during the week. Also, Newsmax television 
anchor. Greg, thank you for this. We appreciate it. I hate to make you come out on a Saturday, but you're great. Oh, Larry, I love it. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm coming to you from what was formerly a great neighborhood, uh, Midtown East, and uh, things are things are falling apart really, really fast. Well, so I, uh, I wanted to ask you about this now. You've got this um, situation, open borders. You've got all these illegal migrants coming into the interior of the country. Now, in New York, let's talk about New York for a minute. My pal Liz Peake, who will be on the show later, uh, writes a column about how they wanted to set up some kind of tent city in Central Park to house migrants. There are other horror stories about, you know, migrants in hotels, uh, migrants replacing veterans, although that veteran story turned out not to be the case. But the reality is uh, Mayor Eric Adams doesn't seem to know what he's supposed to do about this except complain and ask for more federal money, all right? Now, you know a lot about the local scene here. What is this all about? Where are we going here? Well, I'm not shocked. We have an incompetent narcissist as mayor. He has no idea what to do. I warned people about this. I hate to say I told you so, but he fooled some people. Uh, uh, he is a former police officer. He's going to be tough on law enforcement. Uh, he's going to be tough on these issues. No, he was a clown. He always has been a clown, not a serious man. He became mayor with... Uh, about 200,000 votes in a city of 8 million people, 200,000 people made him the mayor. Mm. And uh, you can see he has no uh, operational skill, no governing skill, no political skill. Now he's in a fight with the Biden administration. Why is he in a fight with the Biden administration? Because it looks good to the New York Post. I love the New York Post, but he's (laughs) all things to all people all the time, right? No, isn't this great? Eric Eric Adams is saying the right things on the border. In the meantime, he's not fixing the problem. You get on the phone. You, there are some things that have to be done behind the scenes. He's blowing it. He's in love with himself. And this Roosevelt Hotel, which is a very special place, quite mm-hmm. frankly, to me in my heart. And I, I shouldn't say this, but I used to go to Star Trek conventions at the Roosevelt Hotel. <laughs> I love that place. To me, it was the most glamorous place on earth. And do you remember, Larry, in Wall Street, uh, the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. Greed is Good, the Gordon mm-hmm. Gecko Greed is Good Oh, moment. was that meeting in uh, Roosevelt? Absolutely. Oh, and, that's fabulous. And during that little talk, he talks about how America, America is becoming a second-rate power. Right. And he talks about how we lost our industrial might. And that's 40, what is that, 40? That's 40 years ago almost, yeah, that movie. Almost, yeah. And in the middle of that, <laughs> to see now it's, it's going to be occupied by, well, um, illegals who have no business being here. It's uh, it's heartbreaking. The whole damn thing is heartbreaking. The Roosevelt was a big Republican hangout. I sure, mean, Tom they, Dewey actually had his yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he had his uh, well he didn't have his victory party there. He had his right. defeat party. The the Republican state party was based there. And now for this to happen, it's very much representative of of, of a city in decline. You know it. It was a great hotel. Then it started to decline. Then Pakistan bought the hotel, actually. And then it totally shuttered during COVID. And now this. Uh, now this. And I, quite frankly, look, I'm sorry. I don't trust these people. We don't know who they are. They have not sworn allegiance to the United States. If you go back to the 2020 convention with Trump, my favorite moment during that convention, he saw uh, five people from all over the world, from Africa, from South Asia, all over the place come in and take the citizenship oath. 
They did all the right things, amazing people from all over the world. And you take that citizenship oath. You you promise to take up arms for the country, that you support our ideals and the Constitution. These people don't have to do that. We don't know who the hell they are or what their agenda is. I don't know if you've been watching Gordon Chang, but all these uh, these military age men from China coming in, we're in big big trouble. And the Russian, uh, it's Russians just, coming in, the Russians coming across the border. One of them was interviewed on Fox. Blew my mind. Really, I, <laughs> Russians? Really? Okay. So, Greg, what's going to happen? You know, I had um, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney on the TV show last night, and she was reminding uh, on this point that um, that these migrants are filtering through. Uh, upstate New York, I don't just mean Rockland County and Orange County, all the way up, you know, she's way up in the Syracuse area, and they don't know where to put them, and they don't really want them. So what are we going to do? I mean, it's an Eric Adams problem, but it's now, it's a Hochul problem. What's going to happen here? Well, number one, if, if Eric Adams were to suddenly become a wise, mature man overnight, which is not going to happen, uh, you have to have a meeting. You have to talk to Governor Abbott immediately. You have to make peace mm-hmm. with the Biden administration immediately. I can't stand the Biden administration, but you don't talk about high schools and gymnasiums. All right. Now, we do have Rikers Island. Yeah. There are arrangements that can be made. There are prisons all over the place that are no longer prisons. They're defunct uh, structures mm-hmm. that could be used for this purpose. And that's that's a Band-Aid. I mean, we have to stop the hemorrhaging at the border, of course. Um, you know, the initial uh, idea he came up with, uh, you know, a broken clock is right every now and then, Randall's Island. But, mm. of course, he didn't think about how people would get there. He made no other ar- arrangements. The, the buses were still going to Port Authority, so nobody was going to Randall's Island. He totally screwed that up. Uh, but those are just those are just Band-Aids. Quite frankly, I, you know, I, I, I talked about it for a little while. It's too it's too far away. It's too far away. Uh, we need we need a we need a new mayor, and the election isn't until 2025. So uh, there's no there's no easy answer here. Um, some creative some creative thinking about intercepting these buses. If you have an emergency um, uh, health order, there are all kinds of things you can do that we did post 9/11. But this is they're not they're not creative people. They just love going on TV and seeing their name and picture in the paper. The migrants are a health risk. That's another issue. I mean, left off, you know, the Bidens did not replace Title 42, and COVID may have passed, but there's still major public health issues, and so they're spreading out across the country, and they're not, you know, really tested, and um, they could have diseases. They may not even know they have diseases, but the Bidens have let that go because of their open border policy. Greg Kelly, let me just ask you, um, What's your assessment now of the law and order situation in New York City, the policing situation? Is it any better? No, it's getting worse. Uh, you you see the climate everywhere you go. Uh, police have been uh, totally held back. Uh, I understand that as well. If they if they act aggressively. Uh, they open themselves up to uh, being jailed or, or prosecuted. Uh, quality of life is um, getting worse. Aggressive panhandling, shoplifting. It's a completely different city. And quite frankly, with 
with the migrant situation, I mean, we could have full-on riots. We really could have full-on riots mm. um, within the next couple of months. Mm. Um, so uh, and the cops, this is, this is a very dangerous, uneasy time. It may take a miracle. It really may take a miracle. You know, I, I, I'm not sure where you are on uh, – well, you work for Donald Trump, and I really would love to see him back. Mm-hmm. I think that he is the kind of the antidote to a lot of what's happening right now. Um, mm-hmm. It may take a miracle, but a miracle has, has – miracles have a way of finding Donald Trump. Let me put it that way. Well, remember, this, we were talking earlier in this show about the Durham report. Donald Trump was completely exonerated in that report. So that's going to give him a leg up. Anyway, Greg Kelly, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it very, very much. This is the Larry Kudlow Show.